Jesus picked two common, ordinary objects to illustrate how his followers should live. Salt and light. Salt brings flavor. It acts as a preservative that prevents food from rotting. Light, of course, helps people see the way. It shows danger. Sometimes light even shows things we didn't want anyone to see. Like salt and light, Jesus says, we should be making a difference in everyday life. Isaiah also expected the faithful to make a difference. Isaiah had a problem with people who showed up on the holy holidays having fasted and ready to say their prayers, but they had failed to pursue justice at other times. Landowners were oppressing laborers. Those with food were ignoring the hungry. Those with shelter were ignoring homeless neighbors. Those with clothes were ignoring those clad only in rags. Isaiah's and Isaiah and Jesus are saying the same thing. If we call ourselves God's followers, that must extend beyond the hour or two we spend at church each week and the time we spend on our own in devotions or Bible study. Our daily, our hourly living must result in actions to help people. We are to be salt and light. We should be making the world a better place for others. How do we do this? How do we break those habits we've created to protect us from noticing suffering that's around us? How do we open our eyes and our ears, our minds and our hearts to the brokenness of the world without it overwhelming us? How do we maintain our flavor and potency as salt and our brightness as light. I attended a leadership retreat a week ago on Friday and Saturday that touched on the topic of resiliency, which certainly applies to this idea of us being salt and light that continues to be useful. The Presbytery took up this idea again yesterday, but I was home with his head cold, so I missed some deeper analysis here. The topic names that, though, they had on the agenda suggested some things we could think about. And you can check with Bonnie and Kathy and Brad to find out if I came anywhere close to what was said yesterday. First item was a staunch acceptance of reality. There's real suffering around us. There are not quick and easy solutions to the problems that cause this suffering despite whatever post you may read on social media. We are limited and imperfect bearers of the gospel, that this is the reality in which we are called to dwell. But recognizing that reality should never be a barrier to us answering the call. Jesus commanded the disciples to feed the crowds, and they outlined for Jesus the reality. They told the truth. There were thousands, and they only had a little bit. But then they heard and obeyed Jesus' call, his command to take what they have, get organized, and get started. We understand that, frankly, in so many areas of our lives, whether it's a medical challenge, whether it's 
having to make the transition to a new job, whether we're facing a family crisis or we're dealing with a financial setback. Again and again, we marshal our resources. We seek wise counsel. We gather a support network. We ask God for help, and we make plans to proceed. We face the truth of our reality, and we get to work. Truthfully, we do this because we see the benefit to ourselves. Now that we have answered the call to be disciples of Christ, we are called to do the same thing with the challenges that surround us, like poverty and hunger and addiction and all the other problems that we see in our society. There will be hard work. There will be disagreements about the best way to proceed. We will need to evaluate our own abilities and gifts. We'll need to work with others to find the best solution. And of course, we'll need to ask God for help. Another very important part of accepting reality is accepting that being perfect is not required. None of us is perfect. None of us has the perfect solutions to the problems we face. Even Jesus didn't have a lasting solution for hunger. In fact, he told his followers there will always be plenty of ministry work left this side of God's reign. I like that quote I read about this. Sarah Boatwright puts it this way. Perfectionism would have me hide my light until it is perfect enough to share. But Jesus does not endorse this, this preventative behavior. Instead, he encourages us to let our light shine before people without hesitation. Dwelling on the details can keep our lights from others and in turn will keep praise from God in heaven. So let us embrace our less than perfect moment for what God may intend it to be, a chance to abandon our baskets for lampstands. Second item, finding meaning in difficulty. This one is about maintaining hope. And that can be very hard to do. We're swimming in messages that tell us there is no hope. The caustic political environment, social media that feeds phobias and fears, serious environmental concerns. We can all make our list of scary things that make our common futures look bleak. And then on top of that, we can pile on all our personal worries and all our family concerns, and little wonder we may be tempted to plunge into a pit of despair. But remember, God has not given us a spirit of fear. I like the wording in the New Revised Standard Version. God did not give us a spirit of cowardice but rather a spirit of power, of love, of self-discipline. We have been given a brave spirit by God that allows us to look into the pain and suffering of our world and see hope. We look back on the cross and the resurrection, and that gives us the knowledge that death and sin and suffering and hunger and war and violence and corruption do not have the final answer. When difficulty arises, we can step forward in faith 
and be the salt and the light that the world needs. We don't do this because we are immune from suffering. We do this because we have a Savior who has promised to be always with us and to empower us to care for others when they and we suffer. This gathered community of faith, these kinds of gathered communities of faith, are so important for finding meaning in difficulty. If we try to forge ahead alone, none of us could withstand the barrage that tells us to give up. But together, we support and we encourage one another. When I stumble because life is difficult, I draw hope from you. When you stumble because life is difficult, you draw hope from me. Together, we help find meaning when difficulty comes. Community is critical to the third item as well, an uncanny ability to improvise. Now, a few of us might see ourselves that way, but many of us feel like, well, that's just expecting way too much. I don't have that ability. But when we gather to work on mission as a community or to discuss challenges we face in our own lives, our ability to improvise skyrockets. God calls us to work together so we can inspire one another and we can draw on each other's gifts. In the community and in our lives, we have one other powerful source for improvisation, an uncanny ability to improvise is a great definition for a prime characteristic of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can do amazing things with us. Gifts we didn't know we had are called forth. Leading beyond our limited wisdom happens. Where once hope had died, it is resurrected to new life when the Spirit shows us the way. With a faithful recognition of the truth, with meaning springing forth in difficulty, with the community and God leading us to improvise, we can be salt with flavor and power and lamps that burn brightly. So what can salt and light disciples do? Well, salt and light disciples in Jerusalem took in many of the poorest of the city. Again and again throughout the history of the church and monastic and missionary movements, Salt and light disciples provide food, shelter, nurture, and healing. Salt and light disciples proclaim the evils of slavery, often being persecuted by others in the church for their views and the words. And salt and light disciples called this nation to account during the civil rights movement. Salt and light disciples in our church, in our community, ensure that students living in less than ideal circumstances have good food for the weekend. Salt and light disciples marshal resources to ensure that people aren't in the streets of our community on cold nights. Salt and light disciples in our congregation spend time with students each Wednesday afternoon, helping with homework, encouraging creative thinking, and most importantly, making friends. And talk about uncanny improvisation. The Spirit gave us another middle school youth group we hadn't planned for on Wednesdays when past scholars started showing up. And being salt and light disciples, it turns out, is about faithful stewardship. There's a deep connection 
between caring for the resources God has given us and being salt and light in the world. The Reverend Dr. David A. Davis says it this way, to be faithful in stewardship is to be part of God's kingdom coming here on earth as it is in heaven. It is to crave a world where the hungry are fed and the thirsty receive drink, where strangers are welcomed and the naked are clothed and the sick are cared for and the prisoners are visited, where the injured man in the ditch is helped along by the most surprising of neighbors and the poor are invited to a feast of seismic proportions. It is desire, that yearning for God's righteousness, that it will be filled if not in this world, then in the kingdom to come. Let's answer the challenge of Isaiah and the call of Jesus. Let us seek justice the rest of our weeks, flavoring and preserving the world and acting as lights. Let us do good works to help others and to bring glory to our Father in heaven. Let us be salt and white disciples. Amen.